Welcome back, guys. This is podcast number six, and I'm always joined by the lovely Craig Seaton. How you doing, mate? Very well, man. Yourself? Yeah. Good, good. This is a back-to-back podcast. We shot one yesterday, and we just thought, you know, we would. We had a really good conversation about God yesterday, so we thought we'll just jump on the bad wang again and shoot the next one. So, where's this one going to go today? Well, we're talking about Maya and the illusion, the yeah. illusional reality, the matrix, and what these things are and how they're they're linked and okay. different interpretations. Um, yeah, let's dive into realities, man. Like, what is life? What is the world? What is the yeah, universe? Yeah. What is our comprehension of it? Juicy stuff. Yeah, perfect. So we've titled this one Maya and the Matrix. It's probably our most catchy title. <laughs> um, so yeah, so what is your interpretation of reality? And what was your interpretation of reality? I think it starts out, for the majority of us, it's just material-based. And it's good to clear out what we mean by material-based in our own understanding of the word because for me at least when I hear materialism it initially links to how you shouldn't be looking at things Mm. how um, don't get involved with uh, money or items and things and bigger houses and that's what comes to me when I first think of materialism and that gives it such a negative spin but we need these things it's it's you know we we have materialism and it's the house above our heads it's the food that's material it's like materialism is coming from energy first the energy whatever that energy is building turns into something material to to use as a tool in this world the issue with materialism is when we get caught in the thing and we think i need that thing or that thing will enhance my life and really in the truth of it, it it won't it can be helpful on the exterior level but it's all about the energy and the internal version so it's using them two together and not being exclusively against materialism understand it and not get lost in it Mm -hmm. Um, so to go back to your question yeah I think that's the first sense of what reality is material dense just physical things no recognition of the energy behind it no clarity of understanding of of the universe or creation or life or what's in what's making these things operate and that is where the journey really starts, I think, is is the first point on reality. And yeah. What's your take, man? Well, I think exactly what you said. I think for most of most normal people, you have to experience that materialistic desire or attachment towards the materialistic aspect before you go on this voyage of spirituality. I think um, it goes back to what we were saying in the previous podcast. We want to be in this world, but not of it. So participate in the world, you know, have all the the luxuries and everything that comes along with achieving material success, but don't attach yourself to it. Mm. And as soon as we're born, we the way the education system is, the way our parents teach us is to try and accumulate everything together, to try and accumulate as much as possible. Because by accumulating as much as possible, you almost guarantee yourself a safety net. Um, and we we place security in that safety net. You know, security and comfort creates a sense of secure, um, creates this safety net that we're talking about. So for me, it was that. And if, from an Indian background, it's always find a good job or, you know, do well in life so that you can create this very pleasant life for you. But as we know, life isn't pleasant. You have to create that pleasantness and you have to have a perspective of pleasantness to whatever you're doing in order for it to be quite joyful. Um, and yeah, I think it's our approach. The thing with materialism and the thing with spirituality is that it's the approach towards both sides. So if you have a healthy approach, if I tell you that you're going to have to give up everything and you're going to have to move to uh, a forest or a secluded part of the mountains and you're just going to have to live on just wearing one set of clothes, which is robes, and you're just gonna to have to spend time in your own head, you're gonna think, this lifestyle isn't for me, unless you've- Sign me up. <laughs> exactly, for you it would be the opposite because you've you've glimpsed that, you've you've felt what it is to to go down that route and let go of the attachment towards materialism. So you kind of th- thrive and relish in that environment um, by thinking about it in that way. But for most people, it's just like, I don't wanna be away from my luxuries. When we go traveling, a lot of people, have you noticed when they go traveling, they will always go to the tourist hotspots. Why? Because you, they don't want to be in, they don't want to experience the country to its fullest degree. That's both the poverty and the richness of the country. So when most people, I always say, when most people go to India, the last place you want to go to is Doha. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, is Goa. Doha's in uh, the Arab countries. Goa, because um, I feel like 
that's where all the tourists end up. So it's basically just a warm England in a way with a bunch <laughs> of just tourists over. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's great to, to glimpse that side as well. But if you really want to see the richness of a country and its culture, you have to get out. And it's quite uncomfortable. Mm. So you would think a lot of people that are that enjoy traveling would want to experience the, the fullest experience. But you'd be surprised. Like a lot of people generally, they want to be in a, in a tropical country and experience the culture, but they only want to dip their toes in that culture. They, want to, they don't want to go balls deep in that culture. And because they know that they have to let go of their securities. So the toilets you get, the places you sleep in are not going to be luxurious. And from that, that creates a sense of, you know, again, gratitude and humbleness to what you've been given in, in first world countries. So I don't know what your take is on that. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like we want to go away and explore, but explore safely. Mm. Explore as, as homely and as recognisable as we can. Yeah. You know, you go to like the show Benidorm or, you know, the places uh, that we're familiar to go in that are very English-based. And we're like, oh, where's my fish and chips? Let's go get a pint at the pub or these English pubs when you go to places in Europe or in America. And it is, it's funny. Because yeah. um, there's always the spreading of, of, you know, we are a global community now and we, we share our different techniques and ways of living and cultures around the world. But it is, it's, it's, funny to see but it's also uh, a shame to see at times that so much of the culture has infiltrated another culture and taken over and uh, I've never been to Thailand but just from what I hear about people who have been and you know that it's so uh, westernized now and even looking at when I was in China and there was a, a shop like on the main street and it was it was what would would see like you know, in, in a budget area in the UK, like in a poor area, it's like superstore and clothes look so basic, but you know, jackets and hoodies and stuff. And it was like the main store where people were going on like, man, I don't like that because I love the Chinese culture and I love mm. the Japanese and the Asian oriental cultures and what they wear and how they are. And to see that becoming Western, which really, I think general Western clothing or the tradition we have is quite bland for modern day. like wear very simple clothes which not a problem I'm fine with that but I love the dress of of, of monks in robes or I love what the Japanese would wear in their very neat and tidy style or you know the, the simplicity of, of what Thai people wear but in a different way I mean that's just because it's different I'm so used to the, the, the same things that we the see all the time right that's why we like something that's different but yeah I think infiltration of our culture and others can be very beneficial with what we do with technology and how we spend money and the systems we create, you know, like the, the bathroom systems here are always fantastic yeah, and yeah. transport is very accessible and easy, you know, not the highest of standard compared to say uh, Scandinavian countries, whatever is more we can aim for, but we've got systems that work very, very well and we're very fortunate to have them. Things like that implemented are great to make life easier, but it comes at a cost, mm. you know, it does come at a cost. And especially when capitalism is used so selfishly, the cost of that is even higher. And mm. um, yeah. So I met a friend the other day, well, I became friends with this guy. Um, it was about two days ago. I was training in JD and this Chinese lad came over to me and he was just saying, you're that Carl Sennis guy. And we were just talking and it was just very basic level of, of conversation, just about training. And then I got more into the cultural stuff because I said to him, what's your real name? Because obviously he said, he gave me an English name, but that's his second name. Um, he, that's what he uses in countries that are obviously Western. But he gave me his Chinese name and we were just, we got into this really deep conversation. We exchanged numbers and I've got him on Instagram now. And uh, yeah, he was just saying, he's felt that change. It's, it's happened in the Indian culture, but when I look at the, the Oriental countries, they've really lost their culture. Like oh, a lot of their guys, like if you watch um, TV, especially when it comes from Hollywood, they try and mimic that as much as possible and they try and exaggerate it. So if you go to Japan or you go to China, you'll see a lot of the guys, especially the young kids, they'll dress in very street gear. And it's like, this is not you. This is not who you really are. Like, where's your where's your pride in your culture? Um, and it's, I'm not trying to put down the, the sort of street culture of America or, or any, anywhere else in the world, but it's becoming universal now. It's just being accepted. So when you go to the East, people are just wearing jeans or pants and just wearing like a, a t-shirt and top. Whereas back then in India, they would wear dhotis, which is basically a, a um, almost a, a, not a blanket, but a, how do you say it? Just a, a thin cotton piece that's just wrapped around the, the legs and that's gone. And in China and Japan, you know, the ladies used to dress in kimonos and, and uh, 
yeah, that's gone as well. And people just don't know. It's not the fact that it's gone. It's the fact that you've lost it mentally as well. So physically, you try and show to the world what, how you feel on the inside by showing it on the outside, right? We, we dress in a particular way. But it wasn't the fact that they lost it on the exterior. They also lost it mentally. So a lot of these kids have no recollection of what their culture mm. was. God knows how many generations back. And I said to him, I bet your grandmother is because it's got a pretty decent squat, right? Which is a random thing to say, but he was like, yeah, I get it. Like mm. her hips, she's, I think when when we were talking about her, she was 87 or something before she passed away, but 87 years old and she had hardly any health problems. Mm. And that's because she was able to do the stuff that her, obviously her ancestors have done for thousands of years, which is squat, be able to um, spend more time in that position, the, the grounded position. And, and yeah, and they've lost that. Mm. you know and it's definitely having a negative effect on that generation and it's, it's probably worse for people like that because from my culture we had that and we chose to leave that for more of a sort of luxurious lifestyle mm. and we sacrificed those that simplicity for this luxurious lifestyle and, and then we've realized this, this lifestyle doesn't work and yet we've just carried on holding on to it thinking that this is the path forward um, but this is where the Maya comes into it um, when you live a more simpler life, Maya isn't doesn't have that much of an effect on, on you. I feel like you have this almost separation between what's happening around you and what you choose to, to react to or respond to. Um, but then as soon as you, you're in an environment like we are in the Western culture, which is you've got all these massive neon signs everywhere and massive skyscrapers, you're in there and it's quite difficult to not dip your toes in that. But then it's fine, like like we said at the start, it's fine to dip your toes in it, but then start to become more conscious about, is it working for me? Is this shit really the stuff I want to be doing? Do I want to be going out every weekend getting hammered, you know? And uh, yeah, so Maya in the, is a Sanskrit word and the direct translation in English is, well, direct transliteration is illusion, but I don't think illusion exactly describes what it is I don't think it's an illusion I think the reality is there but it's just basically you have to take the veil off or you have to move the curtain out of the way to see what life really is and with an illusion when you participate in I don't know if you go to to a magic show and, and watch a magician performing an illusion you are solely engulfed you're engulfed in that illusion you participate in that trick because you understand that okay at the end of, at the end of the day this is just a trick but we don't do that we're so caught up in the illusion that we think the illusion is what we're living right now mm. and that's the difference between our illusion the word illusion that we've seen in the the magic world and the illusion of maya itself so i feel like maya is probably not the best word for sorry the illusion is not the best way to, best way to translate maya I think the matrix is probably a better word. Mm. So if you want to go into that. Yeah, man, I, I do like the link between Maya, uh, the illusion and the matrix. So I think the, the way that I see it or understand it is that, that uh, using that word illusion, yeah, you're right. Does that get across enough mm. of what it is? Because when we think of illusion, like looking at magicians and illusionists, the thing is you forget that you're in a trick. Like yeah. we do know we're there to watch the show. But we forget that we're in it. We're watching the show when we're like, oh, what's, you know, it's like um, how Alan Watts compares life to to being on stage, or when you go to the movies and you're watching the film and you you're embodying that experience and you switch off from your problems, your worries, your world, your goals because you're living life through that person uh, in that scene. You got the music and everything. The same with the theater. Like I find that even more mesmerizing. You can be at the theater and watching two people in a very simple scene. And you're there and you're mm. like, fuck, you know what's going to happen? Yeah, that's, that's what the illusion is, is you forget you, you forget your essence, you forget your consciousness because you're in that, mm. you're in the magic trick. And I will go more into this later, but that's the same with the dream state is we're in the dream. We've just not recognized we're dreaming. So if we're not recognized we're dreaming, we've not recognized we're watching a film, we've not recognized we're at the theater, we're not recognized we're in a magic trick. So where are you? You know, where have you gone and what can you do when you have been lost if you don't know that you're lost? And that's Maya, right? That is the illusion. You're in the dream. Yeah. Can you wake up? Yeah. And to tie that into the matrix, 
my favourite film of all time I absolutely adore that film I don't know how many times I've seen it but every time I watch it it will it will give a new lease of life I went on my own when you did the 20th anniversary uh, back in March went on my own to the cinema at like 10 o'clock and there's only like six other people there but I loved it and I saw it again actually in the new light because of the sound and seeing it on a bigger screen and maybe being more attentive to that and there was again more layers more layers more things to see like the illusion <laughs> there's always yeah. more layers when we when we concentrate and look through something so the principle behind the idea of the matrix being that we've all got something overall someone in this case of the film the the savior everyone's the hero everybody can wake up in comparison to maya um, in the hindu buddhist scriptures mm. um, we're all illuminated we're all enlightened it's just we've got layer upon layer at the front and with the story of the Matrix, Neo having to go through what he has to go through to realise the truth, which he doesn't believe, which he's told. He's being told by Morpheus, you are the one, it's you. And he's like, mm, all right. Goes to somebody else, the, the Oracle, and she's, you know, tells him what he needs to hear, not, mm. not what the truth is. It's just what he needs to hear. And you could say it's the truth because it is true at that point on the level of illusion that he isn't yeah. the one, but he is. Um, and then having to wake up and go through those trials to realise, yeah, I can do this. And that needed love or in this case, his mentor taken that he had to go and save and he would risk everything for it. And through that process, he goes, oh, I am, I am that one. Um, it was he already the one or did he become the one because he believed it? Yes. The same with real life, yeah. right? Again, yeah. uh, are we destined to do these things or, we, or do they just occur because we believe them? And I love the power of that. It's the paradox of that, isn't it? Yeah, it is, man, it is. Um, so live your own life and follow your passions and your heart and you'll be having fun along the way, right? Yeah. Um, but to go back to, yeah, that's the, the level of illusion, the coding, the matrix, the coding. It's not real. It's not there. You need a certain set of eyes to be able to see through those illusions. And those illusions in the matrix, they're occurring all the time right now. A matrix is a construct around something. So the, you can make a matrix for... I don't know. Uh, let's say scaffolding can be a form of a matrix to build around uh, what's what's really in there, it's what's the going on outside of it. Foundations, yeah. And, but it's not it's not the ultimate truth. Mm. Um, and what are our foundations in the mind? What is our psyche? What is our emotional latches? What are we avoiding? All of that is part of Maya. All of that is part of the illusion, because we're stirred one way or the other from that, and we can become a bunch of. of Agent Smith's in there and trying to stop people from breaking out because yeah. we don't want them to get ahead or to feel something that we can't or we're just so asleep. Uh, as Morpheus says in the film, they will kill somebody if they try to change their views too strongly um, because, you know, you would have had the conversation with Shaw where maybe we, we've come forth too much and too strong in an opinion and almost put somebody else's opinion down or you tell them they're wrong it's not getting through. Like, what are you talking about? It's wrong. They'll fight and back it up as we all do if we've got a strong grip in the matrix, a strong grip on illusion that we will fight for what's real. I'm not having this person come and changing the foundations of my life because this has worked for me. It's all I know. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's true. You know, there's two truths. Your truth, which is a half truth, maybe a quarter truth and the truth, the, the ultimate, ultimate truth, truth seen through Maya, right? Yeah. So relating that back to what Alan Watts says about the theatre performance or any movie that you watch, so he talks about the show that you see in front of you, everything that's happening in front of you. you right now we're playing all these roles, you know, the, the policeman on the street, you know, the, we're all playing all these roles, the businessman, etc. Now, he says that, and we always, when it comes to fiction, we always applaud the villain because you need a strong villain for the, the heroine to become... To, to achieve that path, to, to become the one. So if it wasn't for Agent Smith, Neo would not have been the one or he wouldn't have, we wouldn't have seen his powers or his abilities to be the one. And he says when people are so engulfed in the, the illusion or the, the performance, we absolutely despise the villain and what the villain is doing. But we know deep down inside that, again, when we, whenever we walk away from this, we appreciate what this villain has done. So he says when these characters are finished the performance, they're in the green room, it's the green room that we don't choose to see. Because we know that when we're engrossed in this movie, it's the performance that we, we praise. But you have to appreciate the, the green room. And, and to a certain extent, we actually do that in, in, uh, in Hollywood. And in, especially in other movie industries as well. When it's a movie, we appreciate the performance of the actor, the person that's played the villain, or even the heroine as well. But for some reason, we don't do that in life. We don't say, you know, well done, you're playing a good role. 
you know you're doing so well you're so caught up in this you're doing really well and it's appreciating that aspect that okay this person that's angry at me with me or is showing his frustration is so caught up in his in his in this illusion of life that he's playing the role so well but then you can choose to be like, okay, I don't really, it's, it's helpful. You want to play that role really well so that you can get through life. But at the same time, you want to step away from that so it doesn't affect you that to that degree. A lot of the health problems that we have in this current day and age, cancer, it's all caused by stress. Um, and it's our relationship, even the heart problems and everything, it's our relationship with the problems that we are, the things that we call problems. For most people, there are problems, but if you step away, they actually, they don't turn out to be problems. They, they turn out to be very minor situations that you've chosen to kind of put yourself so deep into and you've overthought it and caused it to be a, a, a stress in your body. So we can step away from that and say, actually, this situation that I'm in, this parking ticket that I've received, this speeding ticket I've received, why have I gotten this? Well, it's because I've done something naughty. I've, I've broken the law. At the same time, it doesn't define who you are. It doesn't make you a criminal. It just makes you, you've done something that the, the society that we said in the previous podcast, the society we live in has given these rules and regulations. And for the general person, that rule and regulation is, is great. It stops them from doing stupid shit. But you're going to get certain situations where you, you're, you're running late for something and you need to speed and, and it causes you to get this uh, offense. But then, Understand that that doesn't mean anything. It just it's, it's just a piece of paper that says you'll have to pay this much and you have to do this much time. It's just a slap on the wrist, um, like we did when we were kids when we were getting taught by by teachers who would give us detention. It's just a slap in the wrist to say, "Come on, start playing the rules a bit more." But you can choose to not play those rules, mm-hmm. and it's whether you want to take that on board. Because I know a lot of people, and this is probably bad, but. All my friends know that I'm notorious for going through red, red lights. You know, the middle of the night, it's like four o'clock in the morning. I'm driving home. There's no one around. I've checked both ways. I slow down. I look both ways and then I just go th- straight through, you know, because I know some of these lights take forever to change. But for some people, it's like, whoa, like you shouldn't be doing that. And remember the first time I ever did that, I got my adrenaline started kicking in. It's like, whoa, I've just gone through this red light. <laughs> and then now it's just become such a normal thing because I've understood this thing doesn't mean anything. It's just a damn color. As long as you're not hurting anyone in the process, you're looking both ways, you know, you can go through, but 90, 90% of the people on the planet would not do it. They follow these rules and regulations to the T. If something happens, I need to sort solve it immediately. Oh, this is happening to me. I need to sort this shit out. No, just calm down, you know. And this is the whole thing about being in the matrix and being so caught up in it that you can't let go of it. So, yeah, because it's your definition of what reality is. Yeah, man. And the rules that we're following, like those rules have been set by other people. Yes. And it's understanding that rules are there as guidelines. They're saying, don't do this because not you must do this. If you fall out of line, right, you're a terrible person. You're bad. You've broke the rules. You down lower in society, you're kicked out of the tribe, yeah. off you go on yeah. your own. And that's probably where following the rules really isn't hurting us to be like, no, we've got to do it, got to fucking do these yeah. rules. But it's like, oh man, it's just, there's so much limit there. In everything you've just said, I have a massive thing with this as well. It's like, I always have had this thought, um, you know, if I was in America, like how we can just cross the road, right? We can walk, oh, this yes. guy's fine. Yes. You're allowed to cross the road because you're deemed to have a certain amount of common sense. While the jaywalking thing in America, like it boggles my mind, man. <laughs> like there's no cars, you know? And the, the traffic light doesn't say what, yeah? It might be two in the morning, no cars around. You look left, you look right, nothing. You cross over and then a cop sees you. It's like, you're getting a ticket. And it's yeah. like, where is your trust in being a human in just humanity that mm. that's that's not cool like let that person cross the road and you know there is I suppose where the, the traffic lights obviously for situ- situations of danger and to timing but if it's at that time and there's nothing at night and you're 100% sure there's nobody walking around and you can see your vision's clear then yeah then why wouldn't you uh, but there's that oh well somebody might pull out or speed out it's like no I've checked that I'm 100% sure nothing's there and it's like how it, it takes away our belief in ourselves and our trust in ourselves, mm. which is massive, which is where governments thrive or groups thrive or hierarchies thrive because that person can have responsibility of my life. They've said, do do it this way. So I'll just do it that mm. way because they're the big daddy. They're the ones at the top. They'll, they take pass care the of They'll take care of me. I don't have to think. Yeah. 
I can wear what I'm told to wear. I can do what I'm told. I can do a nine to five. I can get a certain amount of money to get a house. Da, da, da. I can do everything because that's the rule. Yeah. That's the, the scripture to follow. That's what everybody else is doing. Okay, then you'll stay in the matrix because some of those rules are extremely beneficial and helpful and guidelines of those who've been before, as we were talking earlier, what you said about traditions, 5,000 years of traditions and consciousness. Like there's people who've been to certain places and mapped out a territory and rules can do that. But when it's like you're deeply unhappy or there's something you don't agree with and you get to look at and question why, if you have a problem with breaking rules, even though you know it's not for you, what's the problem with it? Oh, because other people do it. So we're afraid of being ostracized. And it's like, you'll stay in the matrix and then you'll fight somebody else who's trying to, you'll try and fight Neo, who's trying to break out yeah, the matrix. It's like, no, out. you're wrong. You should follow the rules because it's good to follow the rules. And like, but is it? Is it? I think Agent Smith was doing the same thing, but in a different path. Yeah, he just definitely. wanted to plug out and get out, yeah. escape the matrix. So, just spoilers there. Yeah. <laughs> if you've not seen, if you haven't seen it, now, you deserve it. You deserve it deserves spoilers. <laughs> so going back to what you just said about crossing the road, that's so interesting you said that because it just triggered something in me. So if you look at this idea of rules and regulations that we have in society to control the, the, the population, and again, I don't mean control in the sense of mind control or, or whatever you want to believe in terms of conspiracies, and that's fine, you know, there's that aspect. It's a talk for another day. That that's one. a talk for another day. <laughs> but it's the fact that you choose to allow these rules to... To control you, it's just the way. A lot. It's funny how a lot of people are against religion to say that oh, religions cause all these rules and you have to follow these rules and regulations. It's exactly what society does, right? You choose to follow these rules and regulations, just like the church used to make you follow the rules and regulations back in the days. You, but you choose to follow those rules because you are scared that if you don't follow the rules, they're going to say to you, "We don't want you to be a part of our society." But what's wrong with that? Hmm. You know. Once you understand that I can actually be independent, I can live on my own. There's a Chinese girl um, she has been telling my friends about this girl, amazing woman. She's on YouTube and she lives in the forest with her grandmother and she's making um, the, she's doing all the cooking. She creates the, the furniture. Um, she makes her own makeup. She makes her own um, like clothing and stuff. And she's doing all of this on her own without anyone there. She does all the manual labor herself and she finds the whole process therapeutic. Um, and someone like that, just because they decided not to participate in life and decided to live in the forest with her, with her grandmother, it doesn't mean that she's she's become this really bad person. She's just doing her own stuff in her own pace and she doesn't want to participate in society. And that's fine. We should be celebrating that as opposed to saying, whoa, you need to come back and play this game. Mm. And this is where we are in today's age. And the other thing I wanted to say is... It reminded me of what you just said earlier. So you've received a smartwatch, right? Yeah. And a lot of people these days realize, um, d- depend on the smartwatch to tell them how much, how many calories or how many steps they, they should walk. Yeah. Just like, no, it should be intuitive. You should be re- um, relying on yourself to do all this kind of stuff. You don't need gadgets to tell you. When you rely on gadgets, when, when that gadget doesn't work anymore, then what happens? Then it's anarchy. Like it's all for one, one for all, because what happens is you become so dependent on these gadgets. It's like what we said about society. All it takes is one meteorite or one solar flare to affect the earth and it'll just be anarchy because people will just be like, okay, there's no rules and regulations. What can I do in this situation? How can I exploit this situation? And most people will turn to um, breaking into electrical stores to steal TVs in a situation where that's the last thing you need. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have access to electricity, why do you need TVs? And this yeah. is what, what society will do. In a situation where the whole world goes to shit, we don't have any power, people will start robbing TVs, cars, etc. It's, it's pointless. Yeah. You know, we have no survival skills. It's something that my friends and I, it's a bad time to have this kind of discussion because you have exams the next day. So we were studying for our parasites exam, uh, our final year parasites exam. And the conversation we had was a zombie apocalypse and how we, well, it was related to parasites because we were saying, how do we create a real parasite that would be equivalent to a zombie apocalypse that would affect the human brain? And we went quite deep into it. So we integrated all our studying together. So it did help in a way. But most of the conversation was, how would you survive? And I said, it's not even about the parasite. It just takes one situation where society can no longer function without power or electricity and everything goes to shit. Yeah. Um, Look at things like the coronavirus now and the depth of what's happening. What is it? Millions that have died now? Well, it's millions that have been infected. I think, I don't know. A lot dead in China. There's been a lot. all every day, like burning bodies. Yeah. You know, it's like, look at the, that, I mean, was it the Spanish, uh, what did they call the Spanish flu? Something happened where millions of people died in Europe and around the world. 
Because yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that wiped people out. And like, the same as the plague as well. Yeah, the plague, the Black Plague. And you think what happens to society is based off them and because of the dependency. And what the systems that were working there, you know, it weren't like what we have now with so much of the, the electronics and the technicality, and which brings benefit to us. Like going back to what you're saying about the gadgets, it's, it's us to use them, use mm. the material things, but yeah. don't get lost by it. Yeah. And there's that, um, there's this natural syndrome where if somebody's phone's away from them or their battery's dead and they, they, these people freak out because it takes over that I've lost this thing that's with me all the time and it becomes a part of somebody mm. or you know I've had people say and I've felt it myself is you think your phone's vibrated in your pocket or, you know, or it's just a muscle twitch or something yeah that's, and it's like, that's so interesting that we have that we're getting wired into these <laughs> things but it's to use them and not be lost into them which I suppose is is difficult when we haven't seen through illusion and um, we think these things have what our lives have become like technology, nature and humanity should work perfectly together but we're still very lacking in nature. I mean, mm. look at the way that cities are built and there's no integration, especially, I mean, London's a bit better, there's a lot of parks around, but I would love to see integration of buildings and trees mixed mm. together and having that natural supply of oxygen. And Have you seen Singapore, how they do theirs? No, but I've seen, I have, I've not been to Singapore, I've seen but the images. Seen the and it's images like, right? Yeah, like, that's it. Like, that's the planet. We're, we're working with the planet then mm. rather than trying to conquer it and extinguish it and turning the future into... Blade Runner, which is a possibility. I mean, it's a bit stretched out, but Tokyo or places in China, you know, where there's no, they want to get artificial sun because it's so smoky and it's like, it's not far off that reality. Yeah. If mankind was to continue go that way, which is dependence on technology of things outside of themselves and not working or understanding that nature's here to be worked with, not, mm. not against, not conquered. Um, yeah. But it's another illusion of the mind, isn't it? It's another trap of the mind so it just shows you how much having this sort of addiction towards the illusion causes so much suffering in the world almost because we destroy nature we strip it from its essence and we try and exploit it as much as possible um, and instead of using it to our advantage and then giving back as well I think Sadhguru says that this was quite profound for me he says half your lungs are out there you know, the trees are half your lungs because the trees provide you with oxygen. If there aren't any trees or plants or even the algae in the, in the water and stuff, you don't have oxygen. You literally don't have oxygen. So half our oxygen is out there in nature. Mm. Half our lungs are, is out there in nature. So how can we destroy half of our lungs? If we had that interpretation right from the, the moment we were born, we would not harm a single sort of living creature. Because we start to understand we need, we're in this codependence you know, it's almost like a symbiote. We need the relationship with nature to survive. And a part of this illusion is in the nature itself. Like nature can be the most beautiful and then at the same time, the most destructive in the same sort of situation. And it's how we interpret that and how we use that to benefit us and also to progress nature itself mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, man, definitely. I think we look at, let's go back to what, what we think realities are or what are the different planes of our reality? So maybe from your background and more the, the Hindu uh, aspect, what do they say is the ultimate reality or the realities that we live in? Well, it's their realities, the way the scriptures have dictated it is, it's very open to interpretation. It's like what we said in the previous podcast about when I mentioned the animals and how the animals see the world completely different to the way we do. So their reality and what our understanding of what our reality is, is completely different to any of the other God knows how many species there are on the planet. Mm. You know, every single creature on this planet, every species on this planet sees the world completely different. I don't know if you remember being a kid and wondering if when we look at the sky and it's blue, is your blue my red? Mm. Am I seeing the sky as red, but that's your blue? Whereas for me, my, my sort of blue is something else. So are we seeing the same colors? We know this in a few of the uh, New World monkeys, the ones from South America that the males are colorblind and the females can see in color. I think it's the other way around. I can't remember which way it is. But yeah, one half is colorblind, the other half sees in full color. It's the same as humans, right? Women have better uh, detail for color. I'm not too sure. Do they? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it just shows you that even to that extent that we're not seeing in the same color or the same life isn't the same for us. So again, how can we see reality and say that okay, this is how reality is? So the scriptures say especially stuff like the Bhagavad Gita and the Upanishads and the, uh, the Vedas, 
they talk about reality being a um, they describe it as a almost as uh, how do I, I don't know how to even describe this properly so we have different layers of the universe so they describe the actual cosmos and how the cosmos is made up of the what is manifested and what's not manifested so what is not manifested we call it as nothing but then in order for the nothing to exist you need to have something so the something of the universe is there's i think there's 13 or 14 layers of the universe um, in terms of the cosmos and we're slap bang in the middle so according to the scriptures and again this is all just hinduism and uh eastern philosophy the third the middle layer good and bad or what we want to interpret as good and bad is pretty much even so whatever happens in this world um, we also see a lot of goodness in this world we see a lot of bad but also we see a lot of goodness now in terms of your sort of karma and what you do in this lifetime when you pass on and move on to the next body in the next lifetime you will go either down a layer or you'll go up a layer so if your path has been more about spirituality and cultivating yourself and you're, you've been a good human being um, and like in terms of you've not had selfish desires you've done everything selflessly then you go up the ladder um, so that you're in a better existence to to work on your sort of spiritual practice for liberation and the more you're materialistically attached or the more harm you've caused the more lives you've healed the more you go down so there are in Hinduism there is no hell or heaven there's just different aspects of consciousness. So the more you practice spirituality, the more elevated you become to practice spirituality to eventually you don't need to, you're liberated. So that's how the Hindus see the entire cosmos. The Buddhists see it as, again, one large organism. Everything is integrated, everything's living and breathing. We can say the earth is living and breathing. You know, the, the moments of chaos it has is almost like a flu for us. So whatever we have, we're a projection of the entire earth in a way. Forget the universe, we're a projection of the earth. So we have dissonance and problems that we have inside. The reason why we have all this is because of all the mental problems and instabilities that we have, which causes stuff like cancer and causes problems like the um, pathological problems to arise in the body, which is almost like the earth's problems. So earthquakes, um, tsunamis, etc. You know, uh, tornadoes are caused by the distance, caused by the planet itself, mm. the eruptions inside, the deep turmoil inside. So that's how the Eastern philosophy sees the existence in a way. Mm. Um, it goes a lot more mythological in terms of how it's said. So, for example, it said that within, so we're in this cosmos, and then outside the cosmos, there's this eternal um, ocean. So the entire cosmos or what we know as what we we see as the universe is held inside of this layer of ocean. So if you imagine the earth in reverse, so inside of the the outside being the crust and stuff, the inside is where life is and the outside is just eternal ocean. Mm. Um, and that's where we float. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit mind boggling and you can take it as, as you want. And obviously none of us will ever truly experience what that is. So we don't know whether it's right or not or whether it's just... Um, an analogy for the universe itself but this is how it is but then it's, this also ties into the parallel universe theory that you know we've come up with so don't know what your interpretation is of, of the universe um, well to go to planes of reality and um, what the universe or what life is like or going or trying to see for illusion mm. really thinking of something it was a, a big change for me to try to to get closer to understanding that was uh, lucid dreaming um, right. which I yeah. touched upon yeah, before yeah. Okay. which really questioned what I thought was going on with the universe or life or consciousness it was it was like a, a massive red pill moment for me um, it was before any psychedelics as well which was great so I got into meditation into Tibetan Buddhism and through that into lucid dreaming the first time I had a lucid dream, which is when you go to sleep and you're in the dream and something, you just realize, like, oh, you either use practice techniques or methods or you just, your level of consciousness goes, this is a different level of reality. This mm. isn't usual. This isn't my normal life. What's going on? And then you can do reality checks in a sense to help you confirm that state of reality is the dream. So and normal one is you look at your hand, you look away. And you look back at your hand and in the dream state your brain can replicate that image 
twice, exactly right. the same. So you do that and then you the set when you look back, you can have like really long fingers, short, stubby ones. I've had a lobster claw before. Right. And you go, all right, I'm dreaming. You know, and then you realize you're dreaming and you can practice those methods throughout the day to make it happen more when you go to the dream state. So anyway, I did that and I realized I was dreaming and it blew my mind, literally blew my mind because I could feel a DMT release and my fingers going up in my pineal gland and I like, woke up with so much energy. But that first experience was, it's so clear in a lucid dream. It's like HD, 4K. I mean, everybody's experienced a, a lucid dream at some point, whether you remember them or not. Happens a lot more when you're kids unless you're natural or you develop the skill um, and put the work in. Yeah. But um, yeah, and it's boundless. You're in the dream state where, imagine you're in the dream and you can do anything, anything that you want. You can fly to places, you can feel the air as you fly, you can eat things, you can ask for teachings, you can discover about your, your inner child, your shadow self, whatever. You can practice um, doing your skill there and it has an effect in, in the waking state. Um, and this is... Uh, the comparison in the matrix when the Neo and the team are getting those uploads, you know, mm. they go right, bang, I know Kung Fu. Yes. You know, they're uploading, doing it in the dream state because that's the plain white board. You can do anything, whatever you want in that simulation. Um, so where the Tibetan Buddhists and other um, traditions and religions would practice these deeper states, Sufism would do it, uh, Hinduism would do it, Jainism would do it, yeah. Gnostic Christianity, and accessing a higher energy body too in that state. And one thing I realized in that state is anything that you manifest or you think instantly happens. So if you see a dog, you're like, oh, that's a nice dog. It's a cute little dog and you're in a dream. And then the dog sort of makes a movement or something that you would register as, oh, it might be a bad dog. And then when you think that and go, oh, I better be careful. Mm. And then you start to get scared of the dog and the dog turns mean and nasty and it becomes more like a nightmare. That's just us who've done that by what we perceive in the dream as it was good and, it was, and now something that we saw change, changed our perception, so we think it's bad. And that instant switch, that instant change, has, has the, the effect. And we're doing that in the waking state too. So whatever we're thinking or feeling or projecting, we're pulling in, we're making happen. It just takes a lot longer because it's a denser reality, for yeah. a dimensional, more matter, material-based, while in a dream state, there's no material. It's all illusion. Um, so if you think you can walk through the wall, you can do it. If you think you can't, you can't. And mm. it's, that's why the Tibetan Buddhists for their dream practices have um, tasks to complete. One was like you shrink an object and then you make it massive or you multiply an object. I remember once I was training in, in one of the lucid dreams and I knocked this glass. Um, I'd always use like Jedi powers and stuff like that, move things <laughs> around. And I knocked this glass off a table and it fell and smashed on the floor and then I've, I just focused on it and reversed it so the glass all came back up into nice. pieces and the water all went back inside so that um, was your way of dictating that this was a lucid dream that was my way of just practicing my clarity my, my right. um, to refine strength it. of consciousness yeah refinement so you you do because there's times where I fly easily and there'd be times where oh I can't fly because I'm not lucid dream for a while and then yeah. I really struggle and it just taught me so much that that's exactly the laws of this world in, mm. in my eyes and, and the way I see life is that we're capable of so much, we're so great, we're so powerful, everybody's Neo, everybody's the one, it's just we're so asleep, we're so lost in the illusion mm. that we don't realise we're dreaming in this life, in this waking life, yeah. we're asleep on so many levels, why is it you get good at certain skills or you feel more confident or you understand you've got more control over things than you realised and that also comes with by accepting and letting go of how life is and what's occurring in life give up power and you get power like oh that is so true because the illusion of the thing that we think we want or that we hold on to is what's causing our incapability to have it or to use things correctly or to see truth because we're so blinded by what we want or how we think life is that we can't find the truth we might even be looking at the wrong thing you know I think the analogy of the one, if you think about it, the chosen one or the one, is the one of the universe. Ooh. All one. So everyone has the potential to access being one and understanding that we're one. So going back to your lucid dreaming, would you say it's the similar state that you hit when you take psychedelics? Because with psychedelics, we were also mentioning last time that if you take a bit and you feel like, okay, I don't know how this experience is going to be, but I'm a little scared about it, so I'll only do a bit. What usually happens is you're stuck between two worlds. You're stuck between what you th perceive as reality and you're stuck to stuck in the world where you perceive all the your trips and stuff, so your, your DMT state, if you want, or your dreamlike state. Now, if you're caught between the two worlds, you, you start to... Um, you, you you struggle to latch onto what is reality itself. So that's when the fear kicks in. 
So when you're in that psychedelic state, I feel like it's quite similar to the dreamlike state where you're experiencing something that's beyond reality. Or maybe it's not the reality that you know of. Maybe mm. it's a different it's another state, plane another of plane of existence. Yeah. And for us to, if you have a rigid person that only sees reality as what he can touch, see, etc., and this plane existence, and you throw him in into the deep end and say, let me just blow your mind and show you what real, the reality really can be. And you throw him in this um, psychedelic state. I feel like a lot of the people tend to panic because they, when it comes to dreamlike states, when they're dreaming, they don't tend to remember the dream, which means that they, they want to forget that there are other exist forms of, or planes that exist beyond their sort of current plane. So I don't know what your interpretation of that is. And how does psychedelics differ from, from the uh, lucid state? I think the connection that you're making is good that we're going into another plane of reality and the same with the psychedelics you know if you put somebody in who's never had them and you you know when they used to do MK Ultra and they would spike people with LSD mm. just to see how they react when they were figuring their drugs out and, um, you know if you, I think there's nothing crueler that a person could do would be to spike somebody with a psychedelic who's never had it you know pop LSD and you hear stories like that in fact I know somebody who did that they ended up having an amazing time and it changed their life but that could go hell yeah. wrong you know yeah, and you yeah. could you think you've gone off the deep end if you don't know so it's always dangerous but if somebody was to go right here you go try these psychedelics and explore reality and that's they're red pills in a way because they change your reality because you you can't go back once you've had that mind stretched you can't go back I remember the first few times I did them and I couldn't get enough because I was seeing more that I didn't know and it isn't just hallucinations of images of the mind especially when you've practiced going in and meditating and opening the mind to accept there's other things going on in the the sensorial world or the material world there's a hell of a lot more going on um, so to give that experience look at how the matrix does it the part where he takes the he takes the, the red pill and he's lying down in that chair puts his finger in the mirror and the mirror ripples this is like this is like I remember watching him going, it's like ayahuasca and he drinks, uh, sorry, when it, the, the liquid goes down his throat and he goes, and it passes yeah. through him. Like that was very similar to what I felt when I was did ayahuasca. Like you're just going and you're going down these tunnels and whatnot. Um, and then you're coming out the other side and life's different. You can't go back to how you thought life was. You might want to show, go, no, no, I was just tripping. Uh, it wasn't a real thing. It's like, you can't, because you know, you know something. Even if you can't explain it, you're like, there's more going on tying that into the dream state like the same with the psychedelics or meditation or breath work you develop the skill to navigate these two worlds that's what a shaman is a shaman does that they go from this world to that world and they can be in between them and that's how they can guide and help people a little bit with more depth and detail Um, and with lucid dreaming it's just you so having the understanding that you're in your dream realm there's other other ways of seeing it saying there's other realms Um, we're doing the astral realm is out there. It's, we're not actually just in our heads. And some dream states say it's all going on in, internally. For me, I think with outer body experiences, natural projection, we're, we're somewhere else. Mm. Um, but there's also levels of dreams where we are just in our head. It's all dependent on what content we've got, what karmas we've got. Um, as you said, with the dreams, not everybody remembers their dream and most people don't in their adult life because they put no importance on them. Yeah. Um, because we're, we're already going to sleep in an unconscious state so your dream's going to be unconscious and lucid is when your consciousness goes it lights up so you maintain consciousness in that state anybody can do it just first you've got to practice remembering your dreams mm-hmm. and then once you've done that you can practice getting lucid in your dreams and once you're lucid you practice maintaining stability and it's just sharpening consciousness to see through more illusions to stay conscious through life yeah. um, so anybody can do it and it's probably easy, it's an easier experience to digest than a psychedelic experience because you take psychedelics it's out of your hands, you know, yeah, as long as you, you're good at letting go. You have to ride it through until the the psychedelics wear off, so... Yeah, I remember when I was... Uh, I usually have it for a period of a month uh, worth of dreams. And uh, I used to have it quite a lot a few years ago. I don't know if I've had any recent ones, but I used to have these dreams where I would be able to run fast, but only on all four. <laughs> so as long as if I put my hands on the ground, I, I remember running through this, this street or road that I normally drive through and hitting like 40 miles per hour, no problem. Um, and I would have it continuously, so it wasn't just, uh, it, was, it wasn't actually the same dream, but it was the feeling of speed, but only being on all four. And I was just like, this is a very interesting dream. Is this maybe related to past life being an animal or something? Or maybe just 
you know, having this idea that, you know, I think the Native Americans believe that you could be a, a, wa- a warg or a sort of a shapeshifter or you can access the, the consciousness of an animal mm. and live life through that animal's eyes. So, yeah, there's different levels of consciousness. Um, and I think, listening to a lot of Joe Rogan, you know, he's done a lot of psychedelics, but I feel like some people, and I, and I don't want to say that Joe's doing this, but some people automatically assume that how, because he was describing the Bhagavad Gita with, with um, Raghunath Kampo in the previous podcast, and he was saying how, do you not think with the Bhagavad Gita, how things were so deeply interpreted and how the Mahabharata was, ri- was written that maybe it was just a psychedelic experience of a bunch of monks or shamans and just like that could be, could have been the case but at the same time what's the difference between a psychedelic experience and, a, and reality itself mm-hmm. <laughs> you know if you see that reality isn't bound by the way you think the way mm-hmm. you feel the way you touch etc all the senses then couldn't there not have been an actual a battle or this thing could have happened, you know? So it's understanding that the reality that we live in, in the state that we're in right now, is just one aspect of understanding life itself. And it's one aspect we've been taught to believe and completely accept. But then we don't really... We, it's, it's because we don't talk about it. We don't really talk about dreams. Like you don't normally go to a random person on the street and say, I had a dream about this and that. Because usually dreams are very personal and about, for most people... 90% of the dream is forgotten. The moment they wake up, 90%, well, you've got that little brief window where if you try and remember as much as possible, you remember quite a lot of it. But then give it about an hour and most people forget 90% mm. of their dreams. So it's coming back to um, writing all this down. Like you said, you've got a journal. for You've been writing for four years now mm. of all the lucid dreams you've had. It's creating this journal and trying to extract something out of it and figure out what is what does this all mean or how is this brought together and uh, yeah and then experimenting I think that's where the most um, sort of fundamental experiences come through is experimenting and starting to understand that okay it's my reality is not as rigid as I want it to be it's mm. how I interpret reality itself yeah D- developing those techniques and those tools to to venture deeper into those other states of consciousness yeah. so like um, remember that those really old deep sea diving suits for the big clunky round oh, yeah. helmet and the the tether at the back so you can feed the wire out and this person goes too deep and you pull them back <laughs> in. It's like that's that's what we do to to be able to go into other realities such as the psychedelics, smaller dosages, building up tolerance so you can go deeper into them and having more experiences so you no longer feel overwhelmed and you're like, okay, I can whatever goes on, I'm fine in this space. So the same with the dream is practicing over and over again to maintain stability in, in the dream state. Even um, with the breath work, even with the breath work, yeah. definitely, definitely. So you don't have to turn that. to a an, a an object or an item. You can actually just do it on your own. Yeah, just getting used to being in those states. And the breath work is such a good example because people are very like, what the hell is going on in that first session? Or they panic a little bit and they go, and a lot of people can't let go. And they they sat there lying like this, all <laughs> stiff and tight, unable to breathe and let go because one, we're not comfortable with letting go. Yeah. Um, or being vulnerable or being in that state and it's also the unknown so there's so many uh, barriers at the start that slowly widen with more experience but to tie that into what you're saying about realities and the, uh, the Bhagavad Gita like there's so many so much to the universe and life going on when we think we know what's happening even even our conversation like we're still so limited and what we can comprehend and what the truth is that to say no no reality is just because I know I, I have friends like that and life is just life and if you maintain life to just be in the sense that you know life it will always be that Mm. it's to be open-minded and say okay I believe life is how I live right now but I'm open to being told differently and if you're interested enough then you do meditation you do breath work you do uh, practice lucid dreaming you do have psychedelics or or even a massive experience of love and strong emotion can change things for Mm. you and change how you see life and reality but to go deeper yeah it's I've there's got to be other levels of reality going on there there has to be and whether you go into the psychedelic state it doesn't mean that that reality that you've experienced you'll get so much from it and you can understand so much but when you come back to this reality the illusion takes over again and we forget and we let it go and uh, consciousness isn't sharp enough and bright enough to stay dipping into these other modalities that we can get into without tools anyway because they're there That, that space exists somewhere other realities exist and it's just a case of 
have we refined our toolkit, our bodies and our mind enough to go in there to receive that broadcast and go to that level? Yeah. Because we can, you know, it's there, we can. It's just, do you want it enough? Are you open-minded enough? Do you have enough belief to, to venture into more realities? Or do we want to just keep going to work on the nine to five and stay where we are? Which mm. is fine as well, which is fine as well. But for me, poor exploration, man. Life, there's so much out there to be a part of and to see. And I'm yeah. just so grateful it's worked its way into my life somehow. And uh, how can that ever end? Like, unless you attain enlightenment and fully awareness, even then, there's probably more and more in infinity. Mm. Why, why would life and existence not choose to have different modes of reality, of life, of experience, of being, in ways that we can't even think of? Yeah. Like, oh, it's rich, man. So great to be alive. For sure. Basically, Maya is, or reality, or illusion, is what you perceive is your reality. So if you have a an outlook which is like, okay, I'm not gonna accept that this is just reality itself. I'm accepting that there are other parts of me, including my astral self, which is the dream state and the psychedelic states that you get into. And we, we accept that there are other frequencies that we can tune into. Then we don't have such a rigidity. So I've always said that when people experience um, like an epileptic seizure, I've always wondered what they experienced going through that process. I've got a friend in London who used to get quite a lot of them. I don't know if he gets any recent because I've not talked to him in a long time, but he used to get some really crazy epileptic seizures and I always used to be curious about what he used to experience because you almost get into this state when you're in that situation because you, you look at the way they're reacting and I've seen a lot of people react like that through certain drugs, you know? So it's like you're going through a very similar experience and again, I'm not trying to put it down, but it's like, wonder if you could kind of come back and, and try and remember what you were going through whilst mm. that was happening. Um, and it's the same as comas. Comas are very fascinating that the human body just switches off like that, but puts you in a completely different state of mind. Uh, and sometimes some people don't come out of comas for like 20 years, 25 years. It's like, how can you stay in that state for 25 years? You know, mm. you've, you must be going through something. And if it was boring or if it was pretty shit, you were trying to plug out of it as soon as possible, you know? You're trying to get back, get back to reality. So I feel, I feel like people are in this state of either it's complete torture or, or it's the opposite, which is complete blissfulness, and you either choose to or choose not to plug out of it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's an interesting story in the uh, in Indian sort of mythology where a, a devotee or, or a demigod is um, goes up to Krishna. His name he's a his name is Narad. He's a he's a yogi, and he goes up to Vishnu and says to him that um, what is illusion, what is Maya, and he grabs uh, Narad and throws him in a, in a pond, and he falls in and he feels like he's choking um, in the water, and he, he's obviously choking in all our water, and, w- and then he just wakes up as a woman. So he suddenly wakes up in this reality where he's a princess, he gets everything he wants, you know, a beautiful kingdom, all the riches of the world, all the luxuries, and then he finds a beautiful, because obviously he's a she, so she finds a beautiful uh, husband, and one day this husband dies, and she completely breaks down, and it's obviously this completely distraught, and from that process, in the ancient times when your husband died, especially as a king, the queen or the wife would also follow suit. So she couldn't take any more, so she obviously killed herself at the same time. She entered the fire of the fire that her husband was getting burnt in, or cremated in. And as soon as she entered the fire, Narada was back. He woke out from it, and he was just like, Vishnu, what was that? And he goes, that was Maya. <laughs> Brilliant, man. Isn't that what we're doing when we dream? Yeah. And you wake up, and you're like, oh, God, it's a dream, or... You know, but you feel all of it. You feel all of it because you experience it. You're experiencing that reality. And we're so stuck into that illusion. Even in our own emotions, they're still not the ultimate truth. They're just the, the truth of what we experience. And we get so into them that, oh, I'm going to go to war and murder this bloody country because mm-hmm. of what they've done to my emotions and what I think's right. And you know what I mean? It can make us do the craziest things when we get stuck in the temporal, which again, emotions or the illusion or the experience that we're having. And we don't have a, a full picture or as expanded outlook on it as we could do. And I really like a very similar story. There's one of the, I think it was a Hindu god. And he was wanted to experience life as different beings. 
and he ended up becoming a pig mm. and he was in a farm and he had a pig wife and ended up having loads of pigs and he'd been there for years <laughs> and one of the gods were like we've got to go get him back now he's you know bloody hell he's getting on a bit so yeah, they go yeah. down to get him and he talked to him and he's like what are you talking about I'm a pig stuck in, in my mm. illusion and ignorance because there's no consciousness of that and he's no it's, I'm, I'm staying here I'm not coming back and so they, they kill the piglets and they kill the wife and he's like I can't believe you've done that and um you know, he's distraught about it. He's like, I'm still staying as a pig. And then I can't remember how he gets out of it, but something breaks and he, and he realises they change his form or something. He goes, oh, I'm a god. <laughs> yeah. And and we all like, we've all got yeah. so much capabilities if we're all enlightened and all from unconsciousness. That godlyhood is us. We're in that where consciousness experience itself by living itself. It's amazing. So that godliness, that spark is in us. And if we can wake up to that, we get to enlightenment or we wake up to more capabilities. It grows, grows, grows. Because if you found that straight away, like what psychedelics can do, they can snap people's mind if they're not prepared for that. Mm. So life and these lives and incarnations are the process to get into that, that position. And yeah, like what a great life. It's having patience with that and enjoying it. Yeah. Um, but not getting stuck in the matrix, right? Exactly. Not I think Alan Watts talks about this. He says that, we are basically the vessels of life so that it's like a looking glass so that it can ex- experience itself. Mm-hmm. So our eyes, if you always follow your eyes back, like what's behind this? Mm-hmm. Apart from all the biology, like what's looking through the eyes? Like yeah. what's listening? So we're just experiencing, it's the universe experiencing itself. It's experiencing the rest of the universe. So yeah, it's just fascinating when you look at it in that way that we're just like a vessel for the universe to experience itself. Right on, um, man. Yeah. What a great, great reason to be alive. Yeah. Just perfect. get to experience yourself. Right. I think that's yeah. a great place to wrap up there. It yeah. is indeed. How long has it been? One hour three. A uh, less the yeah, this might be another long one again. Right, guys. So that was podcast number six. Mm. Um, we're going to move on to some more deeper topics in the next one. Mm. And uh, I think yeah. we'll have to come back to this as well. We'll have to come I back feel to we this. We only, yeah. only got going with yeah. religion. And the like, thing is, maybe we need to, once we start getting more into a role and more people start viewing this and start enjoying it, then we can probably start increasing the duration of these podcasts. Mm. And at least when, we're, when we don't have anything after this mm. as well. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really help. But yeah. Okay, so as always, guys, you can view this on Instagram. Um, it's obviously going to be on YouTube and uh, SoundCloud. Mm. And that's pretty much it for now. Yeah. Right, we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah, thanks for listening.